0: The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success.
1: Peak inflation theory shot to hell. So much for the experts. Rate hog probabilities well now include a twenty five percent chance of a one percent move. Rail strike narrowly averted, and our guest today is Ross Gerber from Gerber Kawasaki. All this and much more on episode number seven sixty two of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Discipline Investor Podcast. I'm Andrew Horowitz. I'm the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this and every week as we talk about money and finance and investments and we interview some great guests. We have a lot to talk about all the time because the markets are nonstop, never ending, always moving and that's what we love and that's what we love to talk about. We talk about the theory, of course. We talk about the behind the scenes. We talk about the information that we learn and a bit of education along the way and that's what you get here each and every week, and that's why you continue to come back since 2007. So thank you very much for that. Now, well, what are we going to talk about? Well, I got to talk about the incredible plunge in the markets this week and especially the historic moves that we saw on Tuesday after the CPI number came out. Well, not as expected. all All these experts are talking about how, wow, man, you know, we're at peak inflation. And you know what's gonna happen is Naivism was talking about that the Fed really needs to chill out a little bit. I talked about that. I said, listen, things are rolling over. They really need to slow up a little bit. But unfortunately, that's not their plan. So I can talk a little bit all, you know, a little bit about this, a little bit about that, and then say all the things I want to say when in fact that doesn't really matter. Fact of the matter is they're on a program where they're gonna keep increasing. And when we see the inflation numbers not tick down like was expected, and we had everybody on one side of the aisle, or on the boat, if you will, leaning over into the idea that the Fed is going to have to slow their roll and it doesn't happen, we get a day like Tuesday. And then we get no follow-through and any kind of uh, bounce on that, and then we see a day like Friday when we saw FedEx, for example, come out with a horrible, absolutely abysmal report. And more importantly... When FedEx comes and the CEO says that he sees a global recession in the future, those are serious words. These are things that aren't usually talked about in that kind of manner by a CEO of a major company, particularly a bellwether like FedEx, where they're not talking about margin squeezes due to the fact that we have a gasoline price issue or, or you know, plane fuel or or, or delivery or, or um any of that, we are seeing, no, not the idea that it costs more for wages. That's not what brings on his concern. It's about the fact that they have such a slowdown in their overall business that is causing them to have a significant amount of problems, even guessing where they're going to be. And that's why the company pulled their guidance. And as they pull their guidance, that puts a lot of people's antennas up thinking, How much worse is it going to get if FedEx, the deliverer of goods, is seeing such a slowdown? Doesn't that trickle down into many other parts of the economy? And some of that may be related specifically to things like China. But the fact of the matter is that what we're seeing right now is a substantial amount of weakness, soft economic data. Now, that dovetails into the idea that many people think that, well, the Fed needs to back off a little bit and see how things play out. Well... If that were the case, Fed Fund Futures wouldn't be showing about a 25% chance of a 1% increase coming up next Wednesday. The rate decision that we're going to be seeing for the month of September was always anticipated to be somewhere between a half percent and 75 basis points. 75 basis points being the base case that everybody was looking at. And now what we're seeing is a total turnaround saying, wow, that CPI number that was up by 0.1 and not coming down, and the year-over-year year looking pretty ugly, and expectations are now firmly set that the Fed is going to continue on. So here we are in a situation where the doomsayers that are out there that have been talking about troubling times ahead, they predicted this all the time, are now, you know, rallying around and excited. Wow, we told you so. And meanwhile, you know, clock is right twice a day as well. I am not suggesting that we're not in for a hard time. Question still remains – What does that look like? Is the Fed totally oblivious? Are they totally tone deaf to the idea that the economy is rolling here and globally? Are they blind to the fact that they're going to have a significant problem in Europe due to the energy crisis that is quickly approaching into the wintertime? And the question that everybody's asking, is this time different? I don't know. I don't think so. It's never different. In fact, those words are often considered the four most dangerous words in the investment vernacular. When it comes to investing, the idea of asking, is this time different? Or saying, this time is different, is probably even worse. Not even asking, saying this time is different. Every time we have a situation where there's inflation or the Fed is in fact tightening, there's problems for certain areas in the markets. But nothing's really ever different. It's really how investors take it. And all of this is really backed up by the level of confidence that we have. Confidence is the backbone of market stability. And in there is the confidence and the idea that either we can get beyond this or we can't. We can see the other side, and that other side is actually going to be somewhat reasonable or it's going to be cataclysmic. And herein, again, is what investors are trying to gauge right now is how long, how low, how much, how um, impactful is all this going to be on the bottom line? And what are we willing to pay for owning that stock? If confidence is high and even if we have a situation where the Fed is tightening, well, like we saw certain times during the summer, things can be okay. When confidence wanes is where the problems really come in. And right now, confidence is waning. And on the heels of what FedEx really announced on on, um, Thursday night of last week, that's a problem. So right now, we're at a crossroads. We're at this, 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 this point in time that we have to make decisions, or at least we have to look at whether or not the optimism that we've been hearing about is unfounded. Or maybe the negativity is overblown, or maybe not. And that crossroads is what is really creating the daily push and pull of the markets right now. And one of the things that we've done is we have tried our best to stay invested, but in a way that provides less exposure to certain areas of the market that could be hit the hardest by the um, the, the, the tailwinds, uh, or I should say the headwinds, of higher interest rates, and particularly, we talked about this a hundred times on the show. This idea that we want to look at things like what the level of bonds are, and how short or long we are, the area, and specifically, area we are in our investments domestically in value, large or small. I will tell you that the emerging markets and the um, the the foreign markets XUS are are hurting. One of the reasons is the dollar keeps on climbing. The reason the dollar keeps on climbing is the Fed keeps on talking about how it's going to raise rates. And that is a natural mover of the dollar. I'm a little bit surprised how far it's moved. But that's another story. That's another story. Um, so with that, I thought we would um, have a guest on this week because I want to talk about a variety of subjects. EV has been on my mind for a while. Is that going to help us through this energy crisis, which seems to be creeping up on us pretty rapidly I wanted to talk about um, areas like single stock ETFs. I want to talk about, um, I want to continue the discussion about ESG. So I thought none better to bring on the show this week would be Ross Gerber from Gerber Kawasaki. So let's get right into a discussion with him because we always have a lot to talk about. And as promised this week, our guest today is Ross Gerber from Gerber Kawasaki. You know him. He loves Tesla. We know that. He's all into the EV side of things. He understands the markets. He has a really good handle on all sorts of areas with regard to um, the cleaner side of energy, but also investing has a great depth of that. So we're going to start and just get right into it because I really have a lot of questions. Ross, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. So, uh, Ross, a lot of things have been happening, of course. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, Headwinds abound. Where we, I mean, there's there's no, there's no lack of headwinds.
0: Really like Uh, one headwind,
1: right? Which one is that? Jerome. Uh, Oh, well, yeah, he's, he's a blowhard
0: more than a headwind, right? He's a blowhard because he's like 150 basis points behind the market.
1: He, the problem is though, that in my opinion, at least uh, the last several tranches of fed officials, I I don't know exactly where their heads are at.
0: I really don't. This is the most ridiculous job in the world Like a Fed governor What exactly is that Yeah, You know Like Neil Kardashian has done nothing His entire career You know He's He lived in California And somehow he's head Of the board Of the Fed board of Minnesota Or something
1: You're talking about the bold little guy That was the second in command to I got fired from PIMCO Because he couldn't
0: couldn't succeed The guy who (laughs) tried to be governor Couldn't succeed Guy who needs attention so bad Used to be the the low interest rate guy, and now he's the high interest rate guy. That was a weird switch. Yeah, it was a really weird switch because he was like the dovish, yes, red guy. Right. That's actually why I liked him in the past. So and, I mean, listen, we love guys we like switch the minute the the tide turns. Well, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, he's he's a weenie, but they're all kind of weenies, and they are pandering to a a, a god that they don't really understand, and which is right. Th- th- right. Th- right, right. I mean, I'm saying that they don't understand. And it, it, now listen, far be it for you or I to say that we're better than they are, but it does Why seem not? like they're weird
0: and off. I think people who work for the government make a choice and they made this choice for a reason. Okay. Jerome Powell, if he was so good, he'd be making millions a year, like guys like me, you know what I mean? Yep. But he's not. Mm. So he's working at the Fed for 180 grand a year. Think about it. Think about it. Right. If you're so good at finance and you're going to be working at the Fed, is it some honorable job that you get to tell your your kids, you were your head of the fed. I mean, my kids would be like, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> if I was head of Disneyland, they'd think I was the greatest person on earth. You yeah. know, if I was JPEG, if I said, I was, head- Hey kids, I just got voted to the board of governors of the fed. They'd be like, dad, what yeah. the hell is that? You know, <laughs> like, it's nothing, son. It's nothing. <laughs> so like, so I think the fed is a group of people who want attention and power, like major financial investors and the way they do this is through getting power through the government.
1: It is a problem. And, and, that, and, and, and the problem is also, I think, bigger when they start trying to weave in social – rights and wrongs and trying to somehow believe that if they change the interest rates, that will be better for a certain class of individuals or not. Like it's going to help out a, an underprivileged area in Idaho by changing interest rates or adding liquidity
0: through quantitative easing. It's it's insanity. Right. Right. It's insanity. And so like, like poor people don't have mortgages in the first place. So lowering rates doesn't help them. And then stupid rates throws them out on the streets, right? So now Powell's goal is to help poor people lose their jobs and homes, and that will slow the economy. That's all he can do is fire poor people because the wealthy never really suffer when rates go up or down. So what he's doing right now is he's adding, he's added about, I'm going to say, several, like 100 billion plus or more to cost to the government and higher rates on the 30 trillion in Mm -hmm. debt. He's now added enormous costs to homeowners with adjustable rate, you know, seconds and things like that. People want to buy cars. People want to buy houses, right? So the real estate market has stopped right now. It's just like stopped on a dime. Mm-hmm. 6% mortgages, nobody wants to do that. And and like, so Powell and them aren't looking into the future at all. They're looking at August CPI data. Like oh. that's like literally irrelevant at this point.
1: You know, there was a famous, uh, I
0: think there's a famous line from some
1: old like 70s or 80s. 80s sitcom, don't get me started. You know what I mean? It's like the idea that um, we have raised rates in such a, a dramatic way and how markets are now focusing in, because that's what that's what the Fed did, right? They specifically said that we are now going to be watching market conditions and all that. And now when we see a CPI number that comes out hot like it was earlier this week and markets implode to in, in, in near historic, right? As a matter of fact, that day I, I, I tweeted out what the halt levels were. I'm like, here just to let you know, here's here's where the levels are, just in case. Um, because people were upset about a point a one, point one. Point one in, yeah, point one, yeah. It's just one, the market down four percent. Unbelievable. Let's uh, let's go to another frustrating
0: topic. We I thought it was a good number. we we have no inflation, right? Well, so we went from 0.5 or 0.7 a month, right? To point zero and point one a month. So extrapolate out 10 more months. And we're looking at 2 to 3% inflation.
1: Right. The hope was, though, that the, the problem was that day that everybody was on the sideline that we're going to see deflationary numbers, and that's what happened. I mean, you know that. I mean, that's obviously.
0: How are we getting deflation when the consumer's out at Disneyland spending like crazy? I don't know. Talk to Kathy Wood. Well, Kathy, yeah. What is with Kathy? You know, I, listen, Kathy, I think, is very intelligent, and I don't, I, I think also her economic analysis isn't so off either. But what I think is, is that, I I think she's a one trick pony, you know, like she, she did really well in the pandemic, but, but I don't know if over the long term that's the best place to invest. And, and it's mostly because I look at our holdings and I don't think they're that innovative and it's supposed to be an innovative fund. So, you know, I don't know. Let me, let me throw another name, word association.
1: Let me, let me throw out another name to you that maybe is reminiscent of this. I think you you are about the same age, you and I, Uh, Elaine Garazelli. Yes. Yes.
0: It's like Elaine Garizelli reincarnated. Remember Elaine Gazzarelli or whatever? (laughs) This happens every cycle. You know, there's some superstar who gets it right once and they have a great decade. Right. You know what I mean? Now I'm on my third decade uh, of being a money manager. And one of the things I like to say is, you know, my goal isn't to make maximum return. Actually, my goal is to have my clients reach their financial goals mm-hmm. easily and safely as possible. And I think that's one of the differences in the way that i manage money versus Kathy. And one of the things that's kept me in this business now for 30 years with pretty good returns, you know, is, is really like risk management, you know, like I'm, I'm really like, I really hate losing money. And so you know, and, and it's been really hard with the ETF because like there's nowhere to hide, you know, mm-hmm. like in my regular portfolios, we have half our money in bonds and stock in cash, you know, yep. but right. in, in an ETF like GK, it's hundred percent stocks. There's nowhere to hide, you know? And so, so, you know, defensive um, money management is more important than aggressive money management. During, especially times like these, but just to back up. Well, a you second. don't know when those times are going to happen. That's right. what I'm saying. Right. You have to be prepared to be defensive when things start working against you,
1: right, you know,
0: right. and so, you know, we've lost money this year and and our our defensive ha- haven't actually worked because that's, you know, government securities and, and bonds, which actually are down 15% too. So there's really been nowhere to hide for investors this year. It's been that brutal of a year because even our hedges haven't worked. You know?
1: So just to uh, clarify for people that don't know, and I'm just going to mention this, um, that uh, Gerber Kawasaki has a variety of different ways of they invest. But one of the things they did well, know, about a year ago or so is came out with an ETF based on their stock picking prowess and symbol GK on the exchange.
0: So you could check that out. That's uh, some time about. to hit the top of the market just so you can see how a stock picker can do. <laughs> Let's go you to- know what I'm telling people is giving you a, a really great opportunity to get into my portfolio cheap. And, you know, I've been buying it every week with my own money and I'm putting the majority of my own money into my fund. um, So there's no conflicts or confusion. uh, And I do trade it every week, you know, and invest. And, um, you know, so it's a really great time to invest in my fund right now because it's so cheap and like our holdings are great. And, you know, they just got beaten up, the consumer, technology, uh, green energy. And now all these themes are coming back into play in a big way. So, you know, I think it's a great opportunity.
1: Well, let's talk about something that you and I have talked about. I, I have, I, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease something for a second because you and I have been talking about this back and forth on a DM through Twitter for a while. It's a single stock ETF. So we're going to talk about that in a minute because uh, my head's kind of spinning about that. And, and, and <laughs> it's a little weird. But I want to talk about ESG for something, a second because I, I, I rallied and ramped and went a little bit hog wild on this whole ESG investing. Now, I know you're, you're from California, by the way, Ross, and I see you as a, a green kind of guy. You know, and maybe maybe not over the top, right? Am I right? I'm a green guy. I You're mean, right. yep. 25% of my investments are for climate change. Okay, so now, there's a difference between that and ESG investing. Would you agree that's with that? Right. Yeah, that's, that's correct. correct. This whole ESG wave. Now, I was to a meeting some time ago, maybe five, six years ago. I think it was Allianz or one of these guys were putting on this, this whole dog and pony show, and it was all about ESG. I'm like, what is that? And then BlackRock got involved, and in all this, and and it's become this whole life of its own. But an incredible amount of problems. Recently, there was a um, uh, uh, there's some lawsuits that are going on right now that are, are are hitting the pension funds and saying that there could be a breach of fiduciary duties when they're focusing on ESG because of this. And um, BlackRock is doing things like shutting down uh, ExxonMobil's drilling, but owning Chinese firms that are buying the wells and. There's a lot of conflict and all sorts of weird stuff going on with this. Is ESG investing here to stay? Is it all that is cracked up to be? Is it total crap? What, what, how to make, what, what, what are you gonna make of
0: all, the, all this? So, so just to start, you know, back in the old days, there were just a couple firms that, you know, invested this way. I think it was like Calvert, you know, and it was like, we don't invest. So, in that com- was socially responsible. Yeah, that socially was the word possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the way they, they phrased it in the old days. It was mm-hmm. like, we don't invest in guns. We don't invest in tobacco, yeah, no casinos. You know, right. We don't invest in oil. So there was like a list of like industries that were really bad for society like cigarettes and, and you just didn't invest in them. And, and, you know, I always kind of looked at when I buy a stock, like I'm the owner of the company. And, and so if like, I own cigarettes and I sell cigarettes, that's my business. And that's who I am. And so I was never into selling cigarettes, although I'm into selling cannabis, but not cigarettes, but, but like, then this ESG thing came around and what happens is, is that everybody wants to sell something on Wall Street. And if I could slap some term onto my fund, it made it unique and people could maybe think that they would were doing something good by buying this fund. You know, in reality, you look in the fund, it was like Exxon and Amazon and everybody who's like horrible for the environment and bad business practices. And then ESG got even more absurd because it had things like board governance, like if you don't have enough women on the board or minorities on the board or this or that. And, and then it got so esoteric that essentially what, when you looked at an ESG fund, it essentially made no sense at all, the companies that were listed in these funds, because none of them were socially responsible. <laughs> so You could be like a top ESG firm if you murdered people, if you had a diverse <laughs> board. You know, have you sold carbon credits? So like, yeah, exactly. So like, (laughs) so as long as you had a diverse enough board, you could sell poison to people and it would be in an ESG fund and that was okay. And so what happened was, you know, so my entire career I've been what I consider an activist investor where if I own a company and they're doing something I don't like, I go on TV and I talk about it and I try to force management to make better decisions, you know, um, and if I really don't like what they're doing, then I sell the stock like Facebook, let's say. And so and then I go on TV and I say Facebook sucks, you know, like I do every day. Mm-hmm. Because I think Facebook is like modern cigarettes. And I think they're doing a horrible harm to society. Menthol, and think, menthol cigarettes. Yeah, <laughs> I think actual cigarettes are probably better for you than Facebook. And so
1: <laughs> I'm not kidding, actually. I, I, I've never been a big fan. I use it for one purpose only. If you look at my
0: Facebook feed, it's got my Money. podcast that goes through there. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I mean that's what it's for, right? Yep. But kids don't know that, right? Mm-hmm. Kids think like about socializing with their friends, but they're really it's it's really it could have been great, but they you know decided to sell their souls to the devil. Mm-hmm. So that said, as an impact investor, as an activist, I always so I have my morality of what I believe in, and oftentimes people can consider it hypocritical because I don't believe in religious morality, so a lot of things that religious people think are not moral like smoking pot or abortion, you know, like I don't believe in religion morality. Like, so I don't think people who claim to be religious should be like telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing because studies have shown that the people who claim to be most religious often are the most problematic people in our society. So hmm. that that's just a fact. I'm sorry. There's plenty of lawsuits if you want to look at it. Um, so that said, my morality is 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 based off what I believe. And so like I believe that Exxon is one of the worst companies that's ever existed for society. And they can say they're doing us a service, pumping oil. But if you lived in Alaska in the old days, you wouldn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exxon Valdez was one of the worst disasters in history. And it was a complete avoidable disaster based off greed as typical of oil companies. You know, we invested in some oil companies back in the old days because back then we needed to get production up. And I thought it was a national security issue. And I started dealing with some of these oil companies like Energy Transfer. And then they had that whole thing with the Native Americans on the pipeline. And the way they handled that was so horrible. And then we ended up selling our stock and, and losing money. And I was happy to move on from that horrible business to the pipeline business, where the types of behaviors that the oil companies and what they'll do for money is just like, Horrible. Mm-hmm. So I don't want anything to do with the oil industry. Now I'm sure there's some great people in the oil industry and I'm not trying to say everybody's bad, but it's just not where I'm investing on top of the fact it's destroying the earth. And on top of the fact, I think over time it's going to be obsolete. And and so it's not going to be a great investment anyways, nor has it been a good investment over the last five and 10 years anyways.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with I mean, you. I agree. the last part, especially I agree with that. I mean, I agree with the fact that the, the, the obsolescence of the, um, the, the, the fossil fuels is a problem. Listen, I, I still, I'm still, my, my ears are still ringing from 2007 when Goldman was predicting peak oil and we were running out of oil. And then also, I don't know what happened yeah, since right.
0: then. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Is there's plenty of oil. It's like a miracle. But, but going back to the ESG thing. So, so like they created this term and they start slapping it on whenever they feel like it. And that goes back into your issue. Like, okay, so BlackRock says, Exxon, we want you to invest in renewables, which is actually a good idea for Exxon. But then they buy like Chinese companies that are like destroying the earth too. And people are like, well, you have this like hypocritical double standard. And that's absolutely true at BlackRock. But the same same thing with
1: companies that do like, for example, it's all about money. We know that at the end of the day, let's listen, you and I are it's it's, at the end of the day, it's about money. That's what we do. do. Okay. Well, you know, Philip Morris buying Jewel, and that was, look
0: how that turned out. That's right. That was a disaster because yeah. Jewel was supposed to be I'm so much better for you. I was very happy with that outcome. Oh, oh, it's horrible. So, they it deserve to lose all that money.
1: Yeah, of course. That was the stupidest decision ever. I mean, it, yeah, but it, it was also
0: super, super horrible to like addict a whole new generation of kids to nicotine. It right. just was super horrible. It was interesting. The
1: lawsuit said that they could no longer do like utilize cartoons and targeting yeah. thirteen to like eighteen year olds. I'm like, what? How is that even? how did that happen? I
0: mean, yeah, in the first place, but well, see how it happens people, just businesses just go out and do stuff. And by the time the government can like do anything and stop it, it's like already out. Yeah. So ESG, company-
1: ESG investing. So would we agree that this passive activism, quote unquote, um, that is being pursued as an investment thesis is somewhat
0: overdone? Not overdone. I think it's a, Almost like a fraud.
1: Yeah, I know. No. That's. Oh, I'm
0: glad you said that because I, I believe that as well. I believe hey, there know, is some quality. I, I think you make money. Okay. I, I tell this to my staff. People come to Gerber Kawasaki. They're not like, oh, Ross is cute and he's nice, so let's invest with him. You know what I mean? Oh, no, like, no, no. I don't know. I thought that's why they I came to I try to make people money. What I tell clients is that I can't guarantee that I'm going to make you a lot of money. I can't. But I try very, very hard. And that's what we sell is that we work really hard at it, you know? Um, And hopefully we'll be successful, but there's no guarantee that what I'm doing will work or not work. But there is a guarantee that I will work really hard at making my clients money. And I think that that's why people invest. And so when people would say like, why don't you invest in oil and, and and let's say like, you know, guns and tobacco, part of it is moral. And part of it is, I just don't think they're good investments. You see what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: So it's interesting. I'll I'll tell you something Uh, in our quant model that, that we run here, um, the first time in a very long time. As a matter of fact, I can't even remember because we have a growth component to this. We got a bunch of oil-related stocks in there, which I found right. fascinating. Usually they don't make any of my screens ever. So something's going on right with them right now. And obviously it's the move from negative on, 40 on price of oil on the way up. <laughs> but I get, it. I understand what you're saying. It's a,
0: listen, different strokes well, for different- Like firms. it's a great time to invest in natural gas right now, you know? Yep. And like- I literally look at investments that I would love to buy and I just don't because I don't want to be in that business, but boy, it's a good business right now, especially like natural gas terminals, natural gas shipping, you know, like my basic premise is Russia is going to be cut out of the energy markets. There's plenty of other players to fill the, the, the void. And it just takes time to, to set that up. And that's what's happening now. So like, I met this guy who lives in Qatar and, and we were talking and, and I've never met happier people than the people of Qatar. Do you, you know why? <laughs> because they have all the gas, but right? Not only
1: that, no, there's more to that. And the people there, it's interesting. You are once, once you, you, you get your own entire, it's it's part and parcel of living there. You get like your own staff, you get your own allowance yeah. you get it's, I mean, I, I, it seems like a, Great people place to be born.
0: Country, they have all the gas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Good <laughs> not to be, yeah. And meanwhile, I'm in Laguna beach. It's my neighbor in Laguna and, and you know, on the ocean and he's, he's got, like, 70 people in his house. I'm like, what, you bring your whole, like, village? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's 100 and, 132 degrees in Qatar right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you want to talk about climate change? Yeah. The gas dealer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's, um, let's
1: talk about one of your favorites here. Let's talk about Tesla. Now, I got I got a little bit of a, I got some bones to pick here. Now, I know you love Elon. Let's just get that straight, okay? No, so, I don't love Elon. You don't? Lo- really? I love Tesla.
0: I thought you were a big Elon junkie. I'm uh, I I i I'm a big fan of Elon. I think he's a genius. Yes, Love is not the word that comes to mind when I think of Elon. Respect. I love Tesla. That's different. Okay. Than Elon. So Elon's a very painful character. He's a
1: very painful character. This whole Twitter ordeal, by the way, is really throwing me the, this, this. I got to tell you, I've been really breaking on him with this 420 thing. All right. I know that people like to smoke pot and get high. and all. I get it. And, and 69 is kind of, it's almost
0: like childish. It is childish and I love it. You love it. Why do you love it? I'm a child. Listen, (laughs) you know, when you get old, I think the whole quest in life is to feel how you did when you were a kid. Like the, the my kids are six and 10. They're the happiest things I could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what the stock market does to them. Doesn't matter what something costs. Doesn't matter about any LGBT issues don't matter to them. You know what I mean? They're just out to play every day. And, and I think we have this quest to feel that way for the rest of our lives. And so we hold on to these childish things like fart sounds in the car or 69 <laughs> jokes or 420 jokes because it makes us feel young, you know, and that's the appeal of Tesla. And that's what I think a lot of people in marketing or, or who don't understand marketing don't understand. And why my company is successful is because we appeal to younger people. And we appeal to them because we're somewhat immature ourselves, and it's okay to be immature because maturity is boring. Okay, so if you want to get old and boring like most people, that's fine. But it's not going to be Elon. It's not going to be me. You see what I'm saying? I understand. Well, but but here's the point: immature, and, pe- and people in my office think I do stupid shit all the time. Okay, I, I get it. I get it. But here's the point. Here's the point. Kilo shots and talk about that. I know
1: that. I've seen it. I've seen it done. Uh, I've seen you know, and you have your Gordons and all your your your, your, your little tidbits that you like and, and love it. And people love it. I get it. But here's my point. There's a difference uh, in my, uh, I'm not trying to be Mr. Tight collar. That's not the point. Cause no, I'm, I'm not been, that way. I'm not saying you're wrong, but, but this, this whole thing about, it's almost like 420. It's like, first of all, between me and you, I don't think he really gets high. He doesn't get high. Right. It's clear that Joe Rogan show. Was, was so it was high. embarrassing. Right. <laughs> so well, this whole, I, I think it's a culture thing, you know? Yeah. So so when he talked about 420 Secured, when he came with 5420 on Twitter and other things like that, I just wonder if it was, I don't know, something weird about that whole thing. But um, let's get to the bottom line on on, on some things about Tesla. Leaders in yeah. EV, of course, and all sorts of different genres and thing, everything about it. Now, reality check. Uh, oh, by the way, I, I, another reason I was thinking about you this week— I was leaving a Wawa gas station. Oh, I miss Wawa's. Okay, I, leaving a Wawa gas station, and there was a charging booth there, right? And some guy's in an op- a pollster. I never saw one before, right? I never saw the new Polestar yeah. car. I'm yeah. like, oh, look at that. Interesting. I'm like, oh, he's backing into that spot there to get charged. I'm like, oh, there's big poles there. I hope he has some kind of, like, backup help or whatever. Wham! Slammed right into the the, the concrete pole with his nice. car.
0: <laughs> yeah. stuff.
1: But you got you got Polster coming out. You had the Nic- Nicola fraud, of course. We have Ford. We have all these other companies. Now you got a variety of other names that are out there. Clearly, it would take a long time for them, number one, to take the lead in any aspect when it comes to EVs. Number two, there's so much legacy cost with these companies, the Fords, the GMs. You know, they have more people on the books working that are not working than are working. That yeah, that-
0: that, that's a huge problem. So Not to mention the dealers, I don't know if you saw the Ford news that they sent the dealers, the thing saying, if you want to sell EVs, you're going to have to change. Really? Why? What'd they say? Oh, cause the dealers are like gouging people. So they'll oh. get like a a Ford lightning and it's supposed to be like 65 K and then they'll tack 20 grand on the top and people will pay it. And then they're all pissed off at Ford because they're like, I'm getting gouged by the dealer, but Ford's like that. We have no control. And so this has been a big issue. That's my issue with Ford. I got a big fight with them earlier when I t- tried to test the Mach E and they tried to put a $5,000 surcharge if I wanted to buy the car. And so I started tweeting about it and Ford got all upset at me and I got all upset at them because I said, it's a bunch of crooks running your dealers, That's right? That's true though. And so what's happened now is this has become a big bone of contention because the dealers want to sell ICE cars, make their commissions and service them because the cars fall apart. But the problem with EVs is that they don't actually fall apart. And so you don't really need to service EVs. And so these dealers are like, wait, we make all our money on service. And so this isn't good for us if they start making good EVs. So Ford's now having to play hardball and basically said, I'm not sending you an EV unless you sign a new agreement with us that says you're going to invest a million and a half dollars in the charging infrastructure at the dealership. And you can't sell the cars above uh, list price. Mm-mm. That
1: is a problem. My friends, uh, that's not only for the EVs, it's for other cars too. The, the old, the old uh, legacy cars, if you will. Uh, my friends, uh, I have two different friends that went to buy whatever you want to call it, a Dodge, some kind of truck and a Ford Expedition or some, or F-150. It's a $15,000 add-on price. And I understand yeah. there's a market value adjustment, but, you know, you start doing this kind of stuff. Now, remember, uh, I hope everybody remembers a couple of things. We bailed out the auto industry in 08. How I mean, soon we forget. Yeah.
0: Let's just not even get into this. It's we bailed so-
1: out the airlines and we bailed out the hotels. Have you been to a hotel lately and gotten any decent service and the prices and the ability and the airlines, the seats are smaller than ever. The the, I, I mean, and we bailed them out. And by the way, they're now they're under investigation of possibly using the airline bailouts to pay for the retirement of some people uh, in packages to let them go during the yeah. time when they were laying anybody off. So now, now they can't find people to hire. Yeah, but the problem is they're going to have to be aware that the next time this goes on, uh, maybe not such a bailout is going to be in the future. Honestly, the airlines should just be nationalized. They're such badly run companies. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. 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 Um, so, Evie, so, so back to Tesla for a second. When's the truck coming out? Is it coming out?
0: You know, it's funny you brought that up. So, you know, we just bought a little bit of Rivian stock because I finally gave in. Because I think the truck business is the next big thing for EVs. Mm -hmm. And so there were two elements to the truck business that we were analyzing. One was, you know, when they make these trucks, are they going to be cool for truck people? You know, like in the sense of like, will they serve the needs of the truck people that own trucks, which are mostly around construction, agriculture. And then secondly, would truck people think driving an EV is masculine enough for them? Because this is mostly a male dominated group. Right. And so there's this sort of thing about the Ford F-150 it's like, you know, Ford tough, you know, and it's like, (laughs) you know, if I start driving around this green vehicle that Ross would drive, you know, how tough am I if I'm a rancher? Right. Mm -hmm. So I was worried about whether construction workers and, and, and agricultural people would think the truck is a floozy. So Ford did everybody (laughs) a great service by coming out with the lightning because the lightning, allowed Ford F-150 buyers to look at an EV version and they quickly realized that this was better than the gas version. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. For a lot of reasons. Now I drove the light. I didn't drive. I've been in the lightning and I I, I went through the car and I was like, this thing is great. It's a great EV. Like hey, good job Ford. Okay. You made okay. two good EVs now and everybody wants them. They could sell everyone they make. Okay. Okay. Mm. Then I go to Rivian and I look at their truck and I go, this thing is like a Range Rover. It's so nice. It's super nice. It's a high-end truck. It's it's more expensive than the Ford. It has way more features and it's somewhat cooler. But the brand has become, everybody in California is talking about Rivian. Every time you see a Rivian, it's like when Tesla was new, mm-hmm. you know? And so Rivian's built an amazingly powerful brand. We've just added this position into our fund um, and starting into our client accounts um, in a small amount because they're not profitable. So the Polestar is the Volvo and they're on track for 50,000 cars this year and scaling rapidly. And they have the whole Volvo ecosystem. So what I say is Volvo is like Tesla, but without all the problems, you know, like you buy, if you buy a Polestar, you're not going to have issues with the car. And if you have issues with the car, there's a dealer who will help you, you know? So Polestar is like the un-Tesla-Tesla. And then Rivian is like, Going to be a hugely successful truck company, I think. And then you've got Cybertruck. And Cybertruck is the most important product that Tesla has worked on since the first one, probably the Model S, Mm -hmm. because the truck business is so potentially lucrative and it's so big. And the Cybertruck is a non uh, conforming model, you know, like it's That's super, a non-conforming super unique. <laughs> so I think it's yet to be said, I think they sell a lot of Cybertrucks to the Tesla people right off the bat, but in year two, year three, I think it's yet to be proven that this will be a truck that will sell in scale. And we'll have to see versus the Rivian and the Ford, which fit the vision of what a truck is to people. And I think they will do very well because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. Then that's the next wave of EVs. It's trucks. We're super bullish on this wave. And I think the Cybertruck will be a hugely successful product once it's launched, but it will be a unique product, not a traditional truck.
1: I mean, the Tesla truck looks like an urban assault
0: vehicle. It is.
1: I mean, you know, just just put a couple of gun mounts on the top and a pop-up door up top
0: and it's like ready to rock. That's right. It's got bulletproof uh, metal and glass. And you go inside this thing. It, it is the future. It's, it is, it's like a Humvee, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people who want that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I, it's going to be huge in pop culture, like in music and, you know, boy, once yeah, that we're music- going to leave, we're going to leave, the, we're gonna leave rappers the- get a hold of this thing. You right. know, it's going to be in every music video, you know, it, it, songs,
1: country music, cool. stars to write songs cool. about it.
0: Yeah. You're gonna, it'll be like a Kendrick song. No, like, <laughs> like, like I, I, I think it, it will be the coolest vehicle. Like people will be like, wow, this is so cool. But as far as just selling trucks, I think Rivian and Ford are right where they need to be. But I want to really focus. On, we, we, we could talk for hours, you and I. But I want to talk about like
1: some of the the byproduct areas. So for example, um, the, the 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 business of disposing of batteries, the business of creating okay. batteries, the the business of charging. The business right. of service, maybe there's a third party or something that will pop up to be like, hey, we're, we're you know, EVservice.com or something like that, right? Because well,
0: aftermarket, aftermarket yeah. EVs, like my friends at Performance Unplugged, which work nonstop. So they take your Tesla and they make it super cool.
1: Right. So w- where's the other areas of this? I mean, because we have like ChargePoint and Blink and we have, you know, these, right. these companies out there that are questionable to say the least, right? Of how this is going to work. Um, you know, are they going to be, You see, the problem is you listen when you get gas, you pull up, you put the thing in, you wait. I don't know, let's. I'm gonna go five minutes, okay? I'm going five minutes for some kind of long period of time, and then you're done, right? Right. I see these people, and I couldn't do this by the way. I see these people with their Tesla chargers, and how long do you sit there for a Tesla charge?
0: 15 minutes. 15 minutes, all right. So, 15 minutes is not bad for a full charge, Uh, it's crazy, it's so good now, it's like it's crazy, all right? It's not bad. No, it's the opposite because the, the char- so like a gas station is usually in the worst place you could possibly want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the cheapest real estate because that's how gas stations make money is like, what's the cheapest place I can put my gas station that's closest to a freeway or a major road. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you don't actually want to go to a gas station at all. When you go to a Tesla supercharger, it's usually at a mall or a restaurant area where it's like, you're going to rest and you've been driving for some time typically. And so like when you pull into park, you can charge now in fifteen or twenty minutes because the the new superchargers are so fast. But like, you might want to go like get a sandwich or something. But now it charges so fast, it's like you can't oh, even yeah. eat lunch right. before yeah. it's done. You know, it's like <laughs> okay, you know. So you got to like set it a certain way so you can get your full luncheon. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so is this company's like? Uh, I want to stress that most Tesla owners don't charge at stations; they charge at home. Yeah. And I plug my car into a regular one ten outlet every night and that's how I charge and and that's how my wife charges and we switch off and we don't have any issue having a full charge and we drive every day not very far but we drive every day and and so most people charge at home and then superchargers are for road trips or when you need to charge up quickly for example
1: but is there an industry somehow that's going to actually come to be that is going to be involved in charging, or is this somehow going to be now almost taken over by the Wawas, the mobile gas stations, like you know, like Philip Marcus Morris trying to buy, as we talked about earlier, um, Juul, right? That they 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 they're like freaking out that nobody's going to be smoking anymore, everybody's going to be using these vapes and all that, right? Um, that was a bad decision. But are we going to see now all of a sudden the old Hess pop back up, baby, and uh, Hess become
0: an electric uh, company? So so here here's the thing. So charging infrastructure was really a priority for Tesla for EV adoption, just like cell phone towers are crucially important for Apple with 5G, okay? So if people don't put up 5G towers, then nobody cares about a 5G phone, Mm -hmm. right? So they have to work together. So Verizon, all these companies invest a lot of money in 5G cell towers and technology before they launch the phones, but the money is made on the phones, okay? The cell phone towers make the money on the rent. But Verizon invests a lot of money because they're selling service for, I don't know, $150 a month or $100 a month. And it costs them nothing once you're signed up, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so, like, Tesla had a huge incentive to build the supercharger system to sell Teslas, okay? But now it's switched. And so what's happened is people are looking at charging as, like, this is some great business, but it's not. It's a great business if you sell the cars, but what Tesla has done is they've taken not a great business and turned it into a great business. Okay. Yeah. And have scale. So the secret to superchargers isn't putting in two or four or six, like electrify America does at a site. The secret is what Tesla is doing now putting 176 in one station using solar and, batteries to charge and power this thing. And all of a sudden you have this gold mine because your cost of energy is almost nothing. And everybody's filling up paying, I don't know, 20, 25 cents a kilowatt hour or whatever. And, and charging's a profit center for Tesla now. So I tweeted Elon about this cause I've been doing work on charging centers and, and I determined that Tesla is the most, it's the best opportunity in charging.
1: Yeah. Well, because, just, especially uh, cause they rolled in the solar company.
0: Yes. And, and, and,
1: the and they that, created
0: the battery, the, the wall. And they have like 28,000 chargers already, right, right? Right. And like everybody's using them. And now, see, Tesla's in the best position they've ever been now that this law passed. Okay. So Tesla just applied for all these credits for charging stations. And, and they're going to add charging for non-Teslas to the charging stations now. Mm. And this allows them to get the, the government money for these things. So Tesla's going to be serving all kinds of EVs pretty soon. And they're because Elon doesn't think small, they're building 150 chargers in a station now. Or now, an, think about an airport for that matter. Yeah. I mean, think about a gas station with 150 pumps. Right. Like right. that's insane. And so, and then he's putting like a restaurant here in Santa Monica. So, like, you can pull into this thing in Santa Monica, it's like a social club. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, they're building a community, they sell merch. He's making a 10% margin on charging anyways. And I'm like, Tesla, the charging company, it's got to be worth $20 billion. So you now know? is he
1: going to sell the whistle and the flamethrower and tequila at not, the charging station? Exactly right. right just checking. Yeah, exactly right. And
0: you own all of those. Right. Not the, not the flamethrower. I, I I I'm sad I didn't buy the flamethrower because it works really well. But you know, I have kids, and you know,
1: I should have bought that too because it looked good. I, I do a lot of sous vide cooking of steaks. That would have been good to crisp up the steaks after the fact. It it'd be cool, like at a
0: party too. Like if you want to <laughs> light a cigarette, yeah, like <laughs> check out my flamethrower. <laughs> you know. Let's it's finish. A it works, like it works really well. So it's like dangerous, kind of. Yeah, you know.
1: I want let, to let's, uh, let's 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 uh, switch up. I want to talk about Archimodo. Uh, I had um, uh, CEO on the show actually. You owned it for a while. Kind of a fun interesting e electric what do they call it, fun fun utility it vehicle out. you do, yeah it's a it's a small ev but you're out and i think if i'm not mistaken isn't the ceo stepping down
0: yeah that's why i'm out
1: oh okay gotcha so yeah. that, that could be a catalyst for good things actually so that was like for example google
0: put some guy from nicola on the board oh did they yeah, oh, I good. haven't done the work on the people running the company yet. I'm really disappointed. That's been a disappointing investment for me. I really love Arkimoto and I like the products and I think it serves a great niche and I think they have a lot of opportunity and they're in the middle of the ramp and and I think Mark got off track and I, I I saw this starting to happen and try to help him focus and you know I think he has some personal issues that he's dealing with so I wish him luck. I think uh, he also
1: got a little bit. uh, he, he, if I may, from what I could see, he started to think that he could be another Elon to a degree and started doing some weird um, tweet tweeting and started to get involved in all that. And I was like, well, I don't even know where to go with
0: this. I think that was from more a marketing perspective. And I, and I think, and I encouraged this too. CEOs need to build personalities around their brands. And ideally Mark is a good personality. Unlike Bob Chapek who tries to, get everybody excited about Disney and people, boom, you know, the market was a great (laughs) brand ambassador. I I didn't really have a problem with that. I think the issue is you're a CEO and you have a job to do and and then your job is scaling. And I would call him and I go, you're making six a day. That's ridiculous. You need to be making 60 a day, you know? And like Elon would like sleep in the factory trying to get to 60 a day, let's say. And Mark wasn't. And He was driving around in Arcimoto's trying to drum up business, but he wasn't making Archimoto's, you know, and they're still not making a lot of Archimoto's. And and so when he when he got off track, and obviously I've lost my, you know, it wasn't a big investment for us, but we lost some money. Yeah,
1: I hear you move on
0: until I'm convinced that management and, and the financials of the company are a little bit troubled now, too. So they need capital and and they need management, and they and they've got this great business. And if I was like wanting to run an EV business and Wanting to spend, you know, 25 or 50 million, I, I would just buy the company and run it. Yeah, but yeah. that's not what I do, not you know.
1: Uh, let's finish up on this. The, you know, way back when there was the uh, Peter Lynch style of investing. This idea right. that, um, hey, buy what you know, right? You got the right. Nikes on your feet. You got to buy the Nike stock. You go to lunch at McDonald's. No, you got to buy the McDonald's, right? This whole this whole thing. Yeah. So that, I, 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 I get why that works. And one of the reasons, honestly, that that does have some um, impact is that, you and I, Ross, are the man on the street. We're no different than anybody else. We're we're wearing the Nikes. Everybody else is wearing the Nikes, right?
0: So Yes. No. Yeah. Well, no, of whatever it is that we're wearing, whatever we're doing, right? Well, I mean I wear Nikes and I own Nike stock. I don't I don't know if I'm like everybody else. I I'm feeling pretty lonely around society lately, but that's <laughs>
1: You know what I'm saying, though, right? I mean, when I, you,
0: I feel like I relate to everybody else less than I ever have. Oh uh, Well, but you know,
1: it's, it's well because we're getting older. That's back to that discussion.
0: We're getting older and the world's gotten yeah, nutty.
1: Yeah, that's true. So, but the point is that Peter Lynch investing the, the core cycle. Oh, you're, you're drinking Starbucks. Let's, you know, you, yeah. you like Starbucks. Okay, but it was more so about if you knew about it, like everybody knew about it. It's no secret here. So therefore, there's something. But it feels like pot stocks, the concept of pot stocks, right? People were like, Oh, I love pots, So I'm going to buy pot stocks, which most of them turned out to be a miserable affair. Yeah. It's been a bad investment. I mean, horrible. The, I mean, we could, I, I don't know if there's an, is there, is there one name you could even think of maybe I don't think so that actually was anything
0: but terrible. No, no, no. Listen, the pot stocks, you can't blame them from the fact that the, our country's laws didn't change as we all expected them to. So, the, the fact that pot stock valuations have gone down to what I think are cheap valuations is because the hope of legalization is gone. And so the premise that we had with pot stocks were that these companies are operating in a legal environment, let's say here in California, and they're very good, well-run companies, but – with federal legalization, it will take away such barriers of difficulty for these companies that their margins would double. And then they would be able to list on stock exchanges and finance their businesses like other Mm -hmm. U.S. and that these businesses would then be in a much better position to grow and succeed. Okay, that was the premise when we invested in cannabis, let's say, before Biden was elected. And those stocks rallied tremendously on that hope. But it involved legalization. Now legalization seemed like the easiest slam dunk for me when for Biden that could ever be. But Biden doesn't like pot. Okay. So he should be smoking pot. He's not, he's no. Well, I don't know if he should be. No, I he mean, he should not. I don't know. That's a good idea at all. <laughs> Slow him up. Slow well, him up a little more. He's smoking more pot, not yeah. not the Democrats. Yeah. But yeah. um, but you know, so so what's happened now is legalization doesn't seem to happen. I sold my stocks because I lost money. And and the premise was these margin improvement and legalization and access to capital. And that's not happening. And now what's happening is it's hard for cannabis companies to finance themselves that we've got just a ridiculous amount of regulation and laws around operating. And so these companies operate profitably in a very difficult environment. But, you know, it's sort of like, it's hard for them to raise money. And expand, and so now they're kind of stuck. It seems to me that there needs to be talking about consolidation. There
1: needs to be a giant roll-up. You remember the old days of waste management roll-up with Wayne Heisinger or Blockbuster that bought every video store because he couldn't have the the single video store in the corner competing against the other small chain that was a big uh, up against the bigger chain. Seems like a roll-up of this industry would be a really smart
0: move. That's that's exactly what's next. Yeah, I I think so. So coming to like Green Thumb, you know, really well-run. And let's say they're like three, four, $5 billion company. And then you got like TerraSend, which is also real, really well run. And it's like 600 million. And, you know, these guys know each other, you know, it's a small community, um, the, the, you know, the different uh, CEOs. And so, you know, it would make sense. Now, there are also competitors in many of the markets and there's lots of different politics between different players. But, but at this point, it would make the most sense to, to see that happen. Uh, mostly from a financial perspective to protect the financials of the companies, and but you've got to be a cash flow positive company to be worth buying because the last thing a, a pot company needs is more, more debt, yeah, more more, more you know, yeah, no, more bleed, hard, hard to finance, and now rates are going up, right? Right. right. Um, but on the other hand, the demand for cannabis is off the charts. The good stores have been really successful. Um, the typical cannabis store does let's say 5 million plus in revenue or more Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. worth, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25 million each, you know, so you can extrapolate out values and there's great value in investing in cannabis companies right now. But the reason why we're not is we don't see the catalyst for other than this roll-up potential for legalization, but it's, it's, it's absurd in this country that something could be legal in almost every state, but not federally legal.
1: Yeah, and especially, I don't smoke pot, just to let you know, that it that, that doesn't agree with me anymore. Um, I, the early days, one thing, but I just, it doesn't do it for me.
0: So anyway, but the point is, I have no problem a with it. Of, you know, a lot of people are just doing like these CBD gummies before bed, like my my mother-in-law. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not just about smoking pot. It's about, there are some medicinal Benefits to THC and CBD.
1: Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. I, but I, I, my I sleep well,
0: so you probably don't. Yeah, I, I, I
1: sleep very well. Uh, but the thing is, you know, and you just look at the absurdity of standing around a room of friends and everybody's got a full drink, full of alcohol. Uh, and the the differential of oh, that's okay. I, I mean, know. That's okay. You know, and and I'm not even bringing up anything obscure. This is, I mean, it's it's one to one to me. And and that's okay, and that's socially acceptable. And you could be honestly drunk, and the whole purpose of drinking. Don't give me the crap that you like the taste of gin. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: you know what I'm, saying? I'm still recovering from when I was seventeen. Right. Oh, I love Jagermeister. <laughs> give me some more. Give me
0: some more. You know, it is is extremely valued about sort of the hypocrisy of our societal expectations. But in California, we don't have that. In California, you can pull out a joint anywhere and smoke it, and everybody wants to join you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're in Miami where you're not supposed to, but they do anyway. Listen, we're going to okay. end it there. Miami is part of the hypocrisy, right? Of course. Like Everybody's supposed
0: to spot, but then it's like, oh, we don't, we don't want high THC weed, you know, DeSantis, you know, it's like whatever. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's a, okay it's, with cocaine everywhere.
1: That's fine. That's fine. We don't
0: want that's strong. Weed. Yeah. We don't <laughs> want strong weed, but no, the hypocrisy between alcohol, you know, I, I always compare it to tailgating. I took my kids to a USC UCLA game when they were little and all the people were tailgating and my kids were like, what are they doing? And I go, they're drinking before the game and people were like drunk and, and, you know, throwing stuff and fighting. And, and it was almost embarrassing. You know, my kids are like, my kids think like drunk people are like stupid, you know, (laughs) because, because that's what they, that's how people act. And they asked me why this person acting this way. I said, they're drunk, you know, don't worry about it, you know? And like, so, so, you know, like, it's embarrassing when you go to a tailgate, you know, it's like with kids and try to explain what adults are doing with alcohol, you know, but if you pull out a joint in the tailgate mm-hmm. and you start smoking, everything stops. Everybody's staring at you. Right. Like you're smoking a J in front of a kid. Yep. I'm like, you got half naked fat men rolling around <laughs> in mud, you know, with alcohol everywhere. And you're worried about me smoking in front of a kid. Right. That's going to
1: warp a kid's barn much more than smoking a joint.
0: Oh, my kid, I took him to one football game. I had to explain for like a month what people <laughs> were doing at these tailgates, you know? That's funny. That's funny.
1: Ross yeah. Gerber, Gerber and Kawasaki. You can check out everything on the uh, show notes about where to find Ross, understanding more about his ETF uh, and understanding about what he does. Great guy. I appreciate your time. As always, a wonderful discussion with you, Ross. I appreciate you coming on.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. I
1: appreciate it too. All right, buddy. You know, as I uh, just hung up, I realized something. We didn't even get to the discussion about single-stock ETFs. We'll have to do that another time. But nonetheless, very interesting, insightful, and I thought uh, entertaining discussion with Ross today, as we uh, always do have a great uh, opportunity to speak and talk about some fun things. Listen, thanks so much for joining me this week and every week. And we will, of course, be around to discuss uh, all things related to markets coming up next week. And, of course, we're back after the Killers concert took me away from DH Unplugged last week. So Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, dhnplugged.com. Until next week, have a great weekend. I'll see you soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as the sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.